How about we open in a word of prayer? Lord God, thank you so much for the the promise that we have sung about this morning, um, that you uh, have uh, done the, that you have uh, shown to us the wondrous mystery of your of our Saviour Jesus Christ, uh, that He has paid it all for us, and that uh, we can come to you by faith. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, as we hear this morning from your Word, uh, that you would convict and. Uh, and shape and and teach us to uh, trust in you and to seek your face in all our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you open with me this morning to Isaiah chapter 55? Isaiah chapter 55. We've been uh, studying Isaiah for a number of months now and this is our uh, last passage for the year. So Isaiah 55 and I'm going to read the whole chapter. It says, Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness for the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are, my way, are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Well, as I said, this morning we come to the last chapter in this section of Isaiah, the last sermon in this series that we've been going through for uh, the last few months. Uh, If you think back over the last few months, there's probably been, I guess, three themes that that have come up pretty consistently throughout this uh, this series. 
as we saw them ever since the first sermon of the series and, and throughout the passages um, through to this chapter today as well. These three themes, uh, the first one is the theme of salvation, uh, that God would work in Israel and, and uh, ultimately, as we saw, through the work of the servant, the suffering servant, uh, Jesus our Lord, to bring about salvation. Uh, salvation, I guess, partly uh, from God would, said he would save them from the Babylonian exile, but more importantly, he said he would save them from their sin. Uh, and indeed, the promise was that that salvation would would extend to the rest of the world as well. Uh, the second theme that we've seen throughout is the theme of blessing. God's promised uh, blessing, his covenant. Uh, God renewed those promises. <clears throat> uh, this was a great word of hope to those in Babylon, uh, for whom the covenant blessings were uh, in some ways a painful reminder of the way things could have been. Uh, they were a a far cry from the sorry state that they were living in in Babylon. Um, and because God's blessing, uh, God's salvation reaches to the ends of the earth, so too his blessing does. The nations, all of creation is renewed under the, uh, under the covenant blessings of God for his glory forever. Salvation, blessings, and the third theme is the theme of idolatry. God continually reminded the Israelites that he is God and there is no other. Idols are mere creations of men, but God is the creator of the world. Idols are controlled by men, but God controls history. Uh, And as a result, idols are ultimately the foolishness of men uh, and our destruction. But to worship God means grace and eternal life. Uh, now, as we've gone through those chapters, it's, I think we, uh, we love to, to own the salvation that's promised there, and rightly so. Uh, we love those promises that we find in these chapters, uh, but few of us, I think, own the theme of idolatry. Few of us tend to think of ourselves as people who have idols. Um, As far as I'm aware, none of us here in this room have little golden statues that we worship. None of us uh, bow down or pray at shrines or temples. Uh, And none of us offer sacrifices or or, or burn intense or do any other sort of pagan uh, rituals that we would associate with idolatry. Uh, And yet, these passages, uh, and especially this one today, assumes that we all have idols. This passage assumes that we have idols in our hearts, hearts that seek after idols, uh, things, uh, hearts that seek for things to be more important than the true God, to love more than God, uh, whether we are willing to admit that or not. And so even if I don't think of myself as someone who has idols, the fact remains I do have idols that I harbour in my heart. Uh, and that even uh, makes, affects the way I make decisions or, or even sacrifices because of what my idols tell me. I, uh, I give my life in some ways uh, to the pursuit of, of these idols. Uh, and, and insidiously, these idols um, make me live in ways that, that look righteous and kind because uh, my idols... 
but so often uh, things like reputation or admiration. And don't get me wrong, I do truly love Jesus, but my but so often my loyalties are divided within my heart. My affections, my passions are divided. And as I say that, I hope that you look into your own heart and see that we are all like that. You too have idols of your heart that you love and seek after and make decisions based around. Each of us loves things more than the true God. As I said, this passage assumes that. It assumes that we recognise that. And in light of that, it invites us to come, to repent again and again and to believe all that we've heard over the last few months, to freely receive the promise of salvation and covenant blessing that God has. And so that's what uh, you'll see in your bulletins. There's two halves to this passage, two invitations uh, to come to God. Uh, Each one has an illustration of what it means to come and then an explanation of that illustration and then a great promise. So the first half is the first five verses. Uh, Let's have a look at that. The invitation to come and find satisfaction. Verse 1 says again, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Uh, This is, uh, uh, personally, I feel like I've heard this verse a million times. Um, it's kind of a, a favourite one if you want to invite people to to come and believe in God at the end of a uh, at the end of a service or something like that. Uh, it's a really great verse to invite people. Uh, for those of you who feel thirsty, who appreciate that spiritually speaking, you you have no money. Uh, what a great invitation to come. Uh, but I'm, I suspect that most of us here are going to hear that and think, well, I already have come. Like, that's, that's, that's in the past. I've heard that invitation. I have come, I believe, and all good. I think there's a little... If, if we say that, though, I think we're actually missing the point of this verse. See, we kind of assume that this verse is addressed to someone who uh, is kind of completely lost and has no idea of where they are or where they're going. But the way it's framed, it actually sounds more like the person knows where they're supposed to be uh, and isn't there. Think with me about how it would be framed if the person was completely lost. Uh, It would say something like, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to me, I have water. That makes more sense, doesn't it? But it says, come to the waters, like you already know where the waters are. And yet, the person that's being addressed here is thirsty. This person has spiritual desires, and they know where those desires are satiated. 
and yet they are thirsty. Uh, how many of us have uh, worked in uh, or, or have this sort of experience? Um, you, uh, you, the way you work is is within a few meters of a tap. Uh, you have no problem getting water throughout the day. Uh, you, maybe even you carry a drink bottle with you on your uh, right next to you. And yet you forget throughout the day to drink water and you get dehydrated. Is it just me or does, do other people know that feeling as well? That's sort of what's pictured here. Isaiah says, come to the waters. You know where they are. Come to God and be satisfied. Come, buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Eat, drink. You can't afford it, but the price has already been paid. The offer is free and open. And so verse 2 says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you spend your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. The image here uh, kind of makes me think of um, the sort of person who uh, goes to a pub and... Uh, doesn't order food, right? But they go and they uh, they spend their money on uh, on the slot machines or the pokies. This person is is putting money into the void and gaining nothing. You, you, that person could go to the pub and get a full meal, a, a big meal. Uh, they'd leave satisfied, but instead they leave not just hungry but impoverished. And that's what idolatry is like, Isaiah says. Uh, you pour out your life into your, the pursuit of your reputation or, or your home or your career or your retirement or your friends or your spouse or your children uh, or your power and influence or wh- whatever it is you, you desire. But they won't give you what you really want. You won't find security in any of those. You won't find joy. Uh, Your ambition won't be satisfied. Your heart won't be filled. These things won't satisfy your need for love or peace. They they won't remove any guilt or fear. Maybe they will for a little bit, but eventually you'll feel worse in the end than you did at the start. In the end, your idols will take everything away from you. Idols ultimately demand your very life. These things that we think will satisfy us, that we love and seek after more than God. And so Isaiah says, God says, why? Why do you spend your money? for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, that your soul may live. As I said, idols demand our lives, but God offers us life. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. Come to me, says God, I offer life freely. Uh, Now, what does it mean to come to God? Well, that brings us from the image of verses 1 and 2 into the the realm of the 
the real uh, explanation in verse 3. Uh, it means listening to him, believing in him. Uh, as we've been called over and over again in Isaiah, it means believing that Yahweh alone is the true creator God, the king over all the earth. Uh, believe that he is God, there is no other. Believe that he is sovereign, uh, that he has complete control over creation, that he does whatever he pleases and his power is unchallenged. Believe that his good promises are true and that they come to us by the work of the servant, Jesus Christ. Hear and believe what Yahweh, the true God, has revealed about himself through these chapters in Isaiah. Hear and believe humbly. That's what uh, inclining your ear means, giving your full attention. Now, this is, this is fundamental. This is so central to the way that we come to God, the way we live as Christians. We as Christians are people who believe, who submit to what God has revealed about himself. Now, to those who do believe, Uh, He has this promise uh, from the second half of verse 3 onwards. He says, I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. God's kindness will endure forever, flowing out of his eternal, steadfast, sure love. God promises blessings to us, the true satisfaction that idols cannot offer. Uh, Specifically, God points to the covenant promises and steadfast love that he made to David, uh, which verses 4 and 5 then expand on. Uh, Look at that, verse uh, 4. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. The promise here is that in God's eternal kingdom, God's people will have the, will, will rule over the world under Him. And from the very beginning, that's the way it's supposed to be, wasn't it? When God created Adam, He said that He would have dominion over all of creation. But Adam failed through his idolatry. He wanted to be greater than God, uh, and, and ironically, in His attempt, He Uh, submitted himself and all of humanity under creation. The whole creation order was upended. Uh, God's rule with humanity under him, ruling over creation, became creation in chaos with humanity wrestling for control and God out of the picture. So God made a plan to redeem and rule creation through a godly king and a people who will worship him. Uh, King David and the, the kingdom of Israel uh, was kind of a taste of that, the closest they ever came. Uh, as verse 4 says, I made him a witness uh, to the people, a leader and commander over the nations. Uh, but that didn't last, did it? David ended up using that power for himself, uh, and from then on the kingdom went downhill and, and pretty steadily really until it fizzled out in the Babylonian empire uh, exile. And yet God promised, I will raise up a king like David to fulfill my purposes, my eternal, steadfast, sure, loving purposes. And we know that that king is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
excuse me, he conquered the world when he died on the cross. Uh, he rose from the dead and ascended to his throne and he will come again to judge and reign visibly and powerfully over the world. Uh, and until then, we are his kingdom. We are his people here on earth. We are the subjects of the king who calls people from all nations, uh, to whom all nations will one day come and offer praise and worship, as verse 5 says, because of the Lord who has glorified you. So that's the first half, the first invitation to come and find satisfaction in the, the great love and blessings that God has in his covenant. Uh, The rest of the chapter then is an invitation to turn and find compassion. Uh, Look with me at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Uh, If you've ever watched a, uh, I don't know, a few romantic movies, you'll probably start to get the the realisation that there seems to be this common element around, uh, towards the end of it. Uh, it seems to go something like this. Uh, the, the story has gone that the, the, there's a man and the woman that have met and they've fallen in love, uh, but somehow the man has deeply hurt the woman in some way. Uh, he, her, her heart is broken. She's about to leave for good. Um, let's say she's got a train ticket and she's about to leave on the train. The man knows here that he's messed up big time and he desperately wants this girl back. But, of course, there's no hope of that anymore, is there? Uh, And so in this climactic scene, the the tension builds as the minutes tick by, her hour of departure approaches, and and the camera cuts back and forth between them. We see him wrapped with guilt and inner turmoil, uh, and then we cut to her waiting on the platform, uh, and then we... <clears throat> go back to him and he is thinking, you know, I wonder if there's there's any chance that I can be forgiven. And then back to her uh, as she's waiting anxiously for him for, to come and pick her up. Uh, then we see he's made up his mind, but, but her final boarding call sounds. Uh, and he sprints in a desperate bid to catch her uh, as she sort of inches further, closer forward onto the train. Uh, and just before it's too late, right, just before the, the doors close, he bursts onto the platform and she jumps out of the train and, and into his arms just as the doors close behind her. Oh. <laughs> That's right, Mel. He's forgiven, the couple are reunited, and they live happily ever after. Uh, or maybe the story has a sad ending, right? And they, the, he gets onto the platform just as the train's pulling out and, and they never see each other again. Now, I I think this scene is kind of something akin to what verse 6 is picturing here. Uh, The Bible frequently compares idolatry to cheating on your your husband or wife. Both of those things are like inviting someone, or are, I suppose, inviting someone in to fill the most intimate uh, of relationships that should be reserved for one person. Uh, in, a, in the case of idolatry, it's that God alone should be our God. Uh, but as we've established, we seek idols to give ourselves away to again and again and again. 
Uh, and so, so in that, like the woman in that scene that I just described before, God is rightly jealous and, and heartbroken at our unfaithfulness. But verse 6 invites us again, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. There's still time. If you seek him now, you, you will find him before he gets on that train, as it were, and, and the door closes for good. Uh, verse 7, again, it explains that image in plain terms. It says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Isaiah calls us, forsake that way, that way of, of giving your life away in service of idols. Leave behind the thoughts of, of longing for something other than God's goodness and glory. Return to the Lord. Make him your, 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 the true love of your heart, the true God, that he may have compassion on you. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is what the Bible calls repentance. Uh, which we read about in Acts 2. Uh, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. That, that word, repent, that we're called to so often in Scripture. Again, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon uh, note how Isaiah frames this as well. He will abundantly pardon. There's no uncertainty here. There's no wondering if God will forgive you or welcome you. God has promised to freely receive, freely forgive, freely bless. And he has done all that is necessary in the work of Jesus. And so he will have compassion. He will abundantly pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God says, you can't fathom how compassionate and forgiving I will be. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Our thoughts are unfaithful. Our way is to seek after idols. God's, way, God's thoughts are faithful and his way is to reach out to us. Our thoughts are fearful. Our way is to hide in guilt and shame. His thoughts are compassionate. His way is to freely forgive. Our, our thoughts are tit for tat. Our, our way is to try and make it up to him and, 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 and attempt to pay some unpayable debt God's ways, God's thoughts are gracious and his way is to pay it all for us in the blood of his own son. As high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Uh, does that image uh, remind you of anything? 
Uh, it should. We read it out earlier this morning. Tony read it for us. Uh, almost exactly the same words from, from Psalm 103, verse 11. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As high as the heavens are above the earth. Do you know how high the heavens are above the earth? I don't. No one does. As far as we can tell, the, the space, the heavens just go on and on and on uh, forever and ever uh, without limit or end. And God's love for those who fear him, his compassion and forgiveness for those who sin against him, his thoughts go on and on and on and on forever and ever and ever and ever without limit or end. I want to read you a quote from uh, uh, a theologian called A.W. Tozer. Uh, he was reflecting on, on how God is infinite in every way and, and his love is infinite. He said, The mercy of God is infinite too. And the man who has felt the grinding pain of inward guilt knows that this is more than academic. He's saying that the, the, infin, the infinity of God's love is, is more than, than academic. It's, it's not just something that we hold in our heads. It's deeply applicable to us. It's, it has everything to do with our real life. Uh, he quotes from, uh, from Romans chapter 5 where it says, uh, where grace abounded, grace, uh, sorry, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. And Toza writes, abounding sin is the terror of the world, but abounding grace is the hope of mankind. However much sin may abound, it still has its limits. For it is the product of finite minds and hearts, but God's much more introduces us to infinity. Against our deep creature sickness stands God's infinite ability to cure. The Christian witness throughout the centuries has been that God so loved the world, and we see that in light of God's infinity. His love is measureless. It is more. It is boundless. It has no bounds because it is not a thing, but a facet of the essential nature of God. His love is something he is. And because he is infinite, that love can enfold, listen to this, the whole creation, created world in itself and have room for 10,000 times 10,000 worlds beside. God's love is infinite, as high as the heavens are above the earth. No love, uh, sorry, his love is greater than the full number of our sin. Not just greater, but infinitely greater. So that there is no possibility of it ever running out or failing for all eternity. Amen? Amen. And to give us all the more assurance to trust his loving compassion to save and bless, he continues. Uh, Back in Isaiah 55, uh, look with me at verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven... 
And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Uh, Rain makes things grow, right? I don't need to tell farmers that. Uh, If your paddocks get water, it won't be long uh, before the brown grass goes green. It it, it amazes me every time. The the grass that almost seemed dead, if it gets good water, it grows, springs up, as this verse says. This is not going to be news to any of you. As I said, you're all farmers. well, Well, plenty of you are farmers. We all know that rain equals growth. Okay, maybe it's a little bit more complicated than that, but you know, you know what I mean. Every time you see rain come and make your grass grow and your, your crops grow, uh, you can remember that God's promises are just as effective. Just as rain is effective at making things grow, even if they seemed almost dead, so God's word is effective. If he promises to forgive, he will forgive even the most despicable sinner. If he promises to be faithful, he will be faithful even to his most wayward child. If he promises to transform you, he will transform even the most wretched soul into his image. And if he promises to make the earth a paradise as he does in the next couple of verses, you can bet that's exactly what he'll do as well. Uh, verse 12, you, will be, you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. What's pictured here is, is the earth as a paradise. So what a celebration when the the mountains and the hills and the trees of the field join in the celebration. No more more thorns or briars, but the majestic evergreen cypress and myrtle will take their place. The world was once like that. It was, well... A garden, there was a garden that was a paradise and the rest of the world uh, was a place that we would have been able to fashion, uh, cultivate into a paradise. But it was cursed because of Adam's sin. Because of humanity's selfishness and idolatry, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall bring forth bread uh, until you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Uh, This is the curse that, that you and I have brought on ourselves and on the creation. Death and pain, toil and hardship, thorns and thistles. But here in Isaiah 55, God promises in the place of that death and pain, there will be joy and peace. In the place of toil and hardship, singing and dancing. In the place of the thorn and the briar, the cypress and the myrtle. Uh, And invited to take places of honour within that paradise, that renewed creation brought about by God, will be those who believe in the Lord, 
worshipping the God who planned all of this from eternity, the servant who died to renew creation and bring us into it, and the spirit uh, who brought it all to bear on our hearts. And Isaiah closes, It shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. That's the ultimate point of all this, to bring glory to God, to praise and honour his name. Do you want to see that? Do you want to be part of the eternal worship of God? I hope you do, because that's what it truly means to be human. This is the life that God offers. Real life, freeing, empowering, never-ending life that satisfies your soul. Unlike the demeaning, demanding, destroying life that idolatry brings. God satisfies because the love that you long for, he has in infinite measure. And because of the work of his son, Jesus, the servant who died for our sins, that love, that satisfaction is available to all who come in faith and repentance. As we read a couple of weeks ago, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So as this passage says, you're invited. Come and buy and eat. Seek and find. Listen and repent and believe and rejoice. Let's pray. Eternal God, loving Saviour, we praise you, Lord. We know that you are worthy of our affections, of our love. You satisfy our hearts. We confess that we have harboured idols in our hearts. We have sought after things. We have loved things more than you that cannot satisfy Our Lord, we know that you are the waters that satisfy our thirst. Uh, You are the bread of life that we may eat and not hunger anymore. And yet we seek to satisfy our thirst and our hunger elsewhere. Forgive us, we pray, as you have promised. Give us grace to believe in you, to look to you as our true God, to love you uh, with all our hearts and soul and mind and strength. Give us strength to repent and forsake our thoughts and our ways, our wicked ways, our unrighteous thoughts. Uh, Lord, we trust your promises. We believe that you will satisfy us with your love. And so we cast ourselves on you once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.